Don't tell me how many people you know. Tell me what you have learned from them. In a world that bombards you with information, full of busy cities, and a fast-paced lifestyle, we tend not to pay attention to the people around us. Our society turns around us, and the most incredible being could be sitting next to you. But how could you tell if you barely speak to them, if you barely engage, if you barely listen? And why should we remember you? We believe that everyone has a story to tell. We believe that listening is powerful and can build strong relationships. We also love stories, and that's why we bring on air the most amazing, yet regular persons we know to tell us why, when they're gone, we should remember them. And you? Why should we remember you? Hi everyone, this is Brandon. There is something I need to say before this episode starts. The quality of the sound isn't as good as the previous episodes. Let me explain why. This is one of the first episodes we recorded for the podcast and when we started doing it a few months ago, we didn't have microphones. In fact, we still don't. The good quality sound episodes you have and will hear have been recorded with a friend's equipment. But that doesn't mean that this episode isn't great. In fact, it is. A story to remember was told here. Don't believe me? Hear it for yourself. Hello, welcome to our podcast. Why should we remember you today? Me and Brandon are joined by Natalia Fandel and we're looking forward to get to know you. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. So we have our first question. Um, Natalia, who are you and where do you come from? Uh, I'm Natalia and I'm actually from like literally right up the hill. Um, but kind of beyond that, uh, I consider myself like a really creative person and I feel like that kind of defines how I bounce around in a lot of areas of my life. But uh, in terms of where I'm from, I'm definitely, uh, I definitely represent the city of Seattle, like okay. to my core. I'm a city chick for You're sure. Seattle. I agree with that. You're a Seattleite, definitely. Proud to be it so too. You grew, you grew up here. Yeah, I grew up here. Born and raised. I lived um, in DC for a little bit for school on the other side of the country, the other Washington, um, but for like maybe a year. And then I came back. Couldn't hack it on the East Coast. Okay, right. Any other travels? Um, the other big stint of travel that I did that I really, really loved was like five weeks in Ecuador. I studied abroad there for five weeks. Um, and the whole program was based on kind of gender and race um, and expression through the arts um, and kind of how that interacts with well-being. So a lot of the things that I like really love to think about in my daily life and the organizations that I love to follow locally, I kind of got a good uh, picture of what that looks like in a totally different environment. 
um, which is part of the reason that your program really fascinates me a lot, is <laughs> because I have that experience. Nice. And what else about you? What do you do? What's your experience? <sighs> um, well, right now with my time, uh, I'm serving tacos. Check out mine. Nice. Um, did you bring any today? No? I didn't bring any today. It was my day okay, off. Okay, we finished the podcast here. We fired. <laughs> um, so I'm doing a lot of that. I'm also helping out on the back end with Manu's Tacos. We're implementing some new software. Um, so I'm kind of trying to round out some of the skills that I've built up at different businesses. Um, I've tried to like kind of keep one foot in sustainability with everything that I do. So actually part of the reason that I couldn't hack it in DC was because um, I started studying international studies and then uh, there wasn't enough uh, real substance in it for me uh, in the major that I chose. So I tried to make my own major and I couldn't find a mentor who found it valuable. Um, so I kind of understood at that point that my values really don't interact with a lot of, for lack of a better word, like more kind of corporate. Um, mentalities or or senses of politics um, and ever since I came back here like working with impact hub I always tried to kind of push forward uh, sustainability in some way so whatever I can kind of grasp onto um, whether it's equity and inclusion and diversity or environmental sustainability food systems like um, that's what kind of really pulls me. Let me, let me circle back a little bit. So yeah, you yeah. Uh, are born and raised in Seattle. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it like to raise, to be to be uh, brought up in a city like Seattle that is always leading, from what I understand, on these topics that you just mentioned? So um, it was. This was another thing that was really hard for me moving to DC. Um, it's growing up in Seattle is growing up in a bubble for sure. Um, we are, from my perspective and in my experience anyway, obviously, um, there's a lot of performative liberalism and performative progressivism. So um, people will do things to say that they did it. I went to the Women's March. I go to Gay Pride every year. I went to Trans Pride. Like. Um, all, I participated in like MLK Day or something like that, um, but a lot of the underlying structures and institutions are still upheld. Um, so for a lot of folks, that presents kind of an internal struggle of how do I stay in the game while still maintaining my health, like being off the grid enough to like be a full human on my own time, but still like fighting the good fight um, in my job or whatever. Um, but my understanding of liberalism is very unique, I think, given that I've grown up in Seattle. So one thing that I found that you might have experience with, Rob, um, in California is uh, this um, socially liberal, fiscally conservative uh, ideology that I really... Uh, I really, to this day, don't fully understand, but definitely didn't understand when I first went to D.C. And a lot of my peers uh, were from the Northeast, kind of had grown up with more of a libertarian uh, sense of politics. Um, and in a culture where those roots are understood very differently because, like, 
you know, Boston Tea Party originated there, um, and kind of revolutionary ideologies in the East Coast have been um, sort of siloed in a lot of ways from the West. And I think a lot of that has to do with distance, but there are definitely other cultural factors. Um, so for me, being like progressive means you're all in. But when I went to DC, people identified as liberal, but they'd say like, oh yeah, I support same-sex marriage, but I don't think that you know, the state or uh, the federal government should um, you know, funnel money into counseling for youth experiencing homelessness, for example, when we know that the vast majority of youth experiencing homelessness are, um, are queer in some way. Um, so that may mean that they were kicked out by their parents, that may mean that they are escaping conversion therapy um, or other types of abusive situations. Um, and I definitely didn't gain that just, gain that knowledge like just from growing up in Seattle, but I think that um, my high school experience also kind of solidified the intersectionality of, of uh, political perspectives. Um, so the high school that I went to was a uh, public school. It's called Chief Self International. And it's, um, when I went there, it was about 25% white, 25% black, 25% Asian Pacific Islander, and 25% Latinx-ish. Um, and so we had like open discussions about like, what does the N-word mean to you in English class? And I remember like feeling really a lot of a lot of different things, but one thing that has stuck with me is I feel really uh, lucky and privileged to have had that experience even, especially as a white person when like I just dipped into white fragility but the novel very recently. Um, but like a lot of white folks don't have the chance or don't um, don't take the opportunity to open up those kinds of conversations. And so I feel like by the time I was in university thinking about these larger political systems, I already had kind of a deeper understanding of um, how policies impact individuals and how individuals interact with larger institutions that I think a lot of my peers didn't have. So I know that's kind of a long and layered answer, but that's been my experience growing up in Seattle. Um, all right, how do you see that um, reflected on the things that you're currently working on? And what do you notice that is different from this region of the world, from Ecuador, for example, that you went abroad? And how has that influenced um, your whole experience going abroad and seeing all those differences? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one thing that comes up repeatedly for me is language. Um, since I am proficient in Spanish and I've, I try to keep practicing and like keep getting better, um, when I travel abroad, I find that pretty much everywhere I go, folks are much more, um, or at least seem much more aware that other languages exist um, and aware that other cultures are tied to other languages or potentially to the same language that you speak but maybe a different dialect, a different geographical location. Um, I feel like people living in the U.S. and 
keep in mind that Seattle attracts like a lot of emigration um, and um, from within the U.S. and beyond. Um, but I find that up here, especially in our little corner, um, where there aren't many languages yeah. uh, okay. other than English. Although Washington State doesn't have an official language, and a lot of U.S. states don't, the common—I think the whole country doesn't. No, the whole country doesn't. State it's state by state. So some right. some states have official languages, but legally you should be able to uh, conduct business, um, get any sort of government services in any, any language, language. Uh, in most states. Oh. Um, nice. But that's not the common perception. Right. Um, so that's one thing that like really fascinates me uh, about different regions, but that I, like with Manu's Tacos, and I've worked in other places that uh, have bilingual staff or staff with, uh, you know, varying um, proficiencies in several different languages. Um, and combined with like my community manager experience at the hub also um, I always find it really fascinating to try to draw people in based on their differences and language is one of those things that I hook on to just because it makes sense to me and it's fun um, but I think it's also a really good window into other types of intersectionality whether that's the music that you listen to race, color uh, geographic location um Lots of like clothes that you wear, all kinds of stuff. How you understand time, like or color, those right. things. I, right. You know, because um, there are different tenses, different number of tenses, tenses that explain different things in different languages. Yeah, which in the end is still diversity, diversity mm -hmm. of things, exactly. diversity. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so for me, like language is kind of the ultimate um, window into those types of like. DEI work, uh, and not necessarily even foreign languages, but also dialects, and uh, we talk about code switching between like Ebonics and standard English, which in and of itself is a messed yeah. up thing, <laughs> but that's right. another conversation. Right. Well, tell us a little more about your community management experience. You used to be uh, the community management for Impact Hub at Seattle. Impact Hub Seattle. Yeah. So I worked for a while, kind of in at the hub. Um, I started out as a host, um, which was like a, a work trade position, and it was essentially to be like super member. So kind of set an example of understanding the rules and like picking up after myself basic stuff, um, and then I started working in other departments of the hub and eventually uh, worked with the community manager, it's like kind of an obtuse title, uh, but worked with programs and all of our members. Um, and that was super fun. Again, like kind of trying to pull people in, figuring out what appeals to different affinity groups, what those affinity groups even are. Um, and we ended up using the framework of the Sustainable Development Goals, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, um, given that most people in the space are working on some type of project or like personal sort of passion project. Um, under the umbrella of sustainability. Um, and while I don't necessarily know that that's the best framework 
because of the institutions that generate um, those types of goals, um, I feel like oftentimes it becomes kind of a siloed feedback loop. Separate point. Um, but that's one thing that I always tried to do was um, pull people in, and I always uh, found it challenging to um, like understand who I'm not seeing, like what is happening outside of my peripheral vision. Like I know that I'm interested in language and like dance and art and music. What about those people that are interested in like video games and software development and photography right. and social media? Like, um, and who can I um, can I pull in or can I reach out to for that advice or for that node in the network? So a lot of it ended up being um, sort of passive networking, but in Networking always sounds so sleazy, and I prefer, as you all know, to like go eat cookies <laughs> or like go for a walk around the neighborhood. Um, and part of that is also to try to reach across the the table and like um, do what other people are into. Like, if you know a spot in the neighborhood that I've never been to before, of course I want to check it out. Like, I want to know this place like the back of my hand. And I feel like I should because I've lived here for so friggin' long. Um, so that's a lot of the community management was trying to make tangible tasks out of something that I couldn't and still can't really explain, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, question would be, do you see yourself as a representative of people in your generation? And what do you think is your generation's biggest uh, challenge? This is a really interesting question for me. Um, because I wonder if you have a specific definition for generation. When we came up with the question, uh, we were more thinking of the people your age, or people who have been trying to face this, who have faced the same problems as you growing up, pretty much. That's what I was thinking of okay. generation. In a way, we too are part of your generation yeah, too. Yeah. So it's kind of our generation. Yeah. So I feel like in some ways I do represent our generation, and in some ways I definitely don't. Like, I feel like our millennials are uh, generally uh, more eager to learn about the meaning behind our work and our consumption, um, or our like economic activity, I guess you would say. Um, and I definitely subscribe to that sort of platform and practice. Um, I'm definitely like not on social media like a lot of my peers. So that's one thing that I feel like drives a wedge between me and people who I consider to be in my generation. Um, but one thing that's also come up, it's always been a thing for me, is that my sister's four years younger than me. Um, and she was born in 2000 and I'm 96. So we're like right at the cutoff for the right. millennial generation. 
And I oftentimes feel like she's in a different generation than me, even though we grew up in the same generation, in the same household. Um, you know, she had access to a phone, to text, to apps, to email, to um, other social media, pretty much at the same time that I did, but she was at a much younger age. Um, so we talk about like technology immigrants versus technology natives. Um, I feel like I'm more of a technology immigrant, whereas she is more of a technology native. Um, I've also been getting a little bit into astrology and um, <laughs> learning that there are all kinds of ways to conceptualize generations and like how oh, yeah. people kind of relate to each other based on um, like communication style or motive or um, philosophy, like all of these different ways that different sort of cultures and communities uh, ideate around who's in a group with who. And that's another thing, like, um, that, that's just like my stuff that I really like to think about mm -hmm. uh, or talk about out loud and ramble on. <laughs> I'll, I'll save you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, as part of, uh, of that generation and in Seattle, um, what do you think uh, has been the biggest challenge you especially have faced? I think that, um, I think that probably our biggest challenge in Seattle right now has to do with um, something along the lines of like engagement and slacktivism. So understanding and recognizing this sort of performative liberalism that we uh, act out a lot of the time uh, and recognizing our own privilege, given that we're in an enormous city with so many opportunities for so many different people. Um, and then how can we expand that? How can we make ourselves better? How can, if we are saying that we're like leading the charge, um, you know, Vancouver just across the border has safe injection sites, whereas our like, um, you know, our death rate based on overdoses is ridiculous. Um, so I feel like my generation really has to, and I think this goes beyond us also, but the problem that we're facing now is just kind of confronting our own um, ignorance, I guess. Was there something that in the past that kind of sparked this attention and interest in social issues for you? Where was it that you started paying attention to the amount of homeless people outside or the death rates of um, caused by unsafe injections? Um, it's kind of been for like as long as I can remember. Um, I know when I was in high school, uh, I had a few friends who I knew were couch surfing and didn't necessarily have a permanent place to live. Um, one person in particular uh, had a family medical emergency and they lost their home. Um, so that's where homelessness became really real for me. Um, I think a lot of it, a lot of my current understanding of my privilege actually came from managing a football team at my school. Um, oh, wow. Which sounds really like strange to say out loud, but I remember the first time well, 
probably the, the time that hit me the hardest, how much privilege I have, is um, before game days, every Thursday night, we would have pasta dinners. And there'd be like huge hotel pans of spaghetti. Um, we'd have like, you know, bread and spam and veggies and meat, like all the different things. The community would just kind of come together for a potluck. Um, it'd be all the kids, all the coaches, some parents, and it was just a huge party. And I realized at some point during the season that like the reason we were doing this was to carbo load before the games because a lot of maybe not a lot but there were some kids who definitely didn't know that they were coming home to a meal that night they didn't know that they were going to wake up to a meal the next morning and i knew that if i didn't have a pasta dinner at uh school after practice i was going to go home and there'd be pasta sitting in my fridge that i could just microwave um and i think that's you know I, I always had things before that that i realized like oh this person's gay and i never realized it or like because i grew up in theater and there were all kinds of kind of social issues around that um but i think the pasta dinners were um, in particular one of those times where i just really got to like sit and be with a truly diverse group of people um, without the intention of sitting with a diverse group of people and talking about diversity. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. 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 It's the connections that you've yeah. gotten to know people on a deeper level uh, that totally. you've come to understand. Totally. And would you say that's in line with how other people could also break out of the shell of ignorance? their privilege? Do you think you need to be meeting people and experiencing empathy with others to do that? I think that there are all kinds of ways to reach a goal. I don't necessarily think that I'm on the right track. I am doing what I can given my knowledge and experience and the advice that I've been given. And I feel like really grateful and lucky to have happened upon and been able to seek out a lot of the resources that I've gotten, including professors and, um, you know, books that I've downloaded from a university database or gotten from a university library that not a lot of folks might have access to. Um, but also, you know, there are public libraries, there's, um, human beings, the internet, everyday feminism, and all of these resources have their own biases and their own shortcomings, but I think just starting is the best way to do it, like just do something. Um, and I work well with like jotting down notes and just talking to people and like sitting and thinking, um, but I think one thing that I assumed to be universal about kind of self-awareness and self-understanding is um, recognizing that sort of sense of confusion when you have a strong emotion that doesn't really make sense. So if you come call me Natalie, my name's Natalia, and I get really angry about that, that's not on you, that's on me. Like, okay, if I, if you mean we've known each other for a while, like, if you call me Natalie, I might be like, no, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if we're just meeting and you call me Natalie, 
Like, I, I feel like I need to check myself. Like, why did I get so angry about that? Like, what's going on there? Maybe I just need to, like... Right, and an action that I could take is just to say, Hey, Brandon, my name's Natalia. You'll be like, oh, my bad. (laughs) And we'll move on. And then that's all resolved instead of me just, like, holding on to that resentment that you called me Natalie for, like, the rest of our entire relationship. Um, So I feel like that's, like, the key piece. However you can come to understand that, like, sort of sleazy, icky, like, confusing feeling... That's what I, I think of, like, trudging through a bog of that, like, sludge that society, like, shoves yeah, down like, your throat. Stop me before I go too far with this metaphor. <laughs> Very nice, not only. <laughs> um, let me see how we're doing with the recording. Okay, we still have recording time. Um, can we look at the questions? The last question. Maybe we have spoken about the international experience part of it. I mean, we've covered all the topics. For real? Yeah. You have to. You say six. Leave at six. It would be best if I can get out of here at six. Okay. I want to. I, I think you had awesome questions for us too. So I have so I much time it, though. It's like no, no rush. We can totally talk about it. We have a dinner tonight here oh, in the Impact Hub. How is it here? Culture. Yeah, it's here. Where? It's in, gonna be in the Triangle. We're gonna give a tour really? of the Impact Hub. Cool. And then we're gonna sit down and have dinner. It's 15. Oh shit. Is it all like island? I don't think she knows about math. Well, you can. I do. Uh, 12 paying guests all from the meetup. $25 nice. a seat. Nice, dude. Nice, dude. I didn't know this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, this is a successful one. That's awesome. That's super exciting. So, right now, uh, Miguel and John are tending to the chef, and she's cooking somewhere in the building here. And. <laughs> yeah, and, and helping you. And what time do you start? The the thing starts for sure at six thirty, and I don't know if I need to meet the chef beforehand. At least like ten minutes would be nice. Nice. I'll be the one in the dinner. The other two will leave. But, but I think we've gone. Mm-hmm. Now we just have: Are you a reader? And if so, what is what is a book you would recommend to? You'd get everyone to read if you had the chance. Uh, who would you bring to this podcast? It could be anyone. Okay, Serial okay. or Mary First and oh, this stuff. We don't read that. <laughs> no, she knows them. I, I sent her the questions. Yeah. <laughs> now you can ask it in front of the camera without reading it. Right, right, right. I just want to know them. Uh, and we, I still have to ask you why should we read them. Yeah, that's... Oh. That's, Oh wait, you didn't know we were gonna ask you that? Yeah, yeah, I, I did. Because okay. it was the name of the man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is, just so you have a little context, it's more like from the perspective of, you know, like, we're all going to die someday. Why should we remember Natalie Pendle? Okay, ask the, for, ask the question the next time. Sure. Uh, Ah, uh, uh, there we are. Good time. Yep.
So Natalia. <laughs> All right, Here we go. So Natalia, are you a reader? And if so, if you could get everyone in the world to read one book, what book would that be? I am a reader. I love to read. I also I'm a firm believer that everyone should be able to choose their own path. <laughs> um, you know, within reason. Uh, but I'm a big fan of like non-chronological <laughs> books. Uh, so a couple that I really love are from like different places are uh, Tamar by Malpi, uh, Pedro Paramo by I don't remember who the author is, though I should really know. Uh, it's a Mexican novel. Um, and um, The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, which I now realize are all novels by men. I should really diversify. <laughs> Maybe. Well, why? Why would you get people to read these books? Um, I just think that non-chronological novels, uh, they speak to my thought process more than mm. like, Right. First this happened, and then this, and then that. It's like, if I'm if I'm thinking of a story, I will add context where context context matters. But I'm not going to be like, you know, when you ask where I'm from, I'm not like, well, I was born on June 6, 1996, 2:38 a.m. <laughs> Swedish Hospital on First Hill Campus. You know, like that's not how I told you. Yeah, we're, right. we're total you know, opposites. Oh, yeah. that doesn't surprise me at all. We, we are, are total like opposites. Oh, yeah, your sister also thinks like that. My sister is, um, she, I'm all over the place, like, right. in my brain. Like, my strengths, I took the strengths finder test recently. My strengths are all like learner, adaptability, like individualization. Um, I can't remember what the other ones were, but my sister's like responsibility. Um, we had a couple in common, but she's very much more focused on uh, tradition, follow through. Uh, right. She makes Excel sheets for her budget. Like, I don't even have a budget. <laughs> yeah, no. Like, we're, we're more like that. We're more linear. I'm I, more linear. I believe that. Yeah. Financially literate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I know I'm really bad at it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Okay, um, another question that we've been asking pretty much. Cereal first. <laughs> oh, shit, okay. Well, there you go, cereal first. That's how the podcast ends. <laughs> okay, cereal or milk first? Cereal first. Cereal. Thank that you. annoys Thank me you. that you even have to ask that. Who is saying milk? What? Who's saying milk? I don't know, I don't want to know. <laughs> Oh, Rob! No, 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 no. I'm a cereal first person, but I've heard pretty good arguments for why you choose milk first. Um, no, then only are sometimes if I'm eating like frosted mini wheats or something, which every once in a while I have a craving for, put a little bit of milk. I mean, cereal first, then a little bit of milk, and then like as you eat, you can always add more okay, milk. Okay. But you never start with the milk. <laughs> Right. It you just know. doesn't make sense. I agree with you. You know, this this square linear mindset thinking of some people like me, you're just not allowed to put the milk very Even a little bit as I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like ready to come back at me. Yeah, right. And that was not a question, but that's a pretty good answer. Of course you're out to your first. Now, next question would be, if you could bring anyone to this program, mm -hmm. who would it be? 
Um, the person who I really want to introduce y'all to is Sarah Studer. She runs, um, I live with her actually, she's great. Um, and she used to be the managing director of Impact Hub Seattle. She now um, runs the Burke Center, uh, UW Foster School Burke Center of Entrepreneurship uh, grant competition. Um, so she works with all kinds of different uh, organizations. A lot of them, vast, vast majority, are uh, completely university-aged folks. So our generation, uh, working with a lot of the same resources we have, some of them are international teams, uh, some of them are even like family teams, um, and they have all different industries, all different goals, um, and I think that she loves your program, and I think you would really love what she does. Um, That's my plug, yeah, and I'd love to introduce you. Okay, let's see if we can get her interviewed before we leave. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the most important question of all. The last one. Thalia, why should we remember you? I hope that my, any sort of legacy I leave will just like encourage folks to engage with each other and to engage with the world around them. Um, and I really try to like practice that as much as I can. Uh, I hope that's why people remember me. Or for like some really cool stuff I did, like skydiving. Or nice. But truly, like, I feel like the coolest experiences that I have and, like, the things that people are like, what, you did that? Are, like, just all because I, like, went and said hi to someone or, like, went to a cool event that nobody else wanted to go to or something yeah. like that. <laughs> well, thank you, Natalia, thank you, Natalia. for coming on to our episode today. We appreciate having you. Thank you. Yeah. That's all. Hi everyone, Brandon here. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. Don't forget to follow our Instagram at Why Should We Podcast and tell us what you think of this episode. If you're more into email, send us your comments to Why Should We Podcast at gmail.com. Goodbye and hear you all in the next episode.